0: Jesus I crave to know you interest to know you will satisfy my soul Jesus I crave Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number twenty-three. Uh, today, I actually am going to speak a little on uh, Moses, and eventually, maybe in a second episode, uh, Joshua more if I have um, if I have time today. Um, but the, I definitely believe that there will be a, a a second part to this. So, before jumping in, I want to thank everyone for. Taking the time to listen, I know we all have very busy lives, and time is a very precious commodity. Uh, so I do appreciate you uh, keeping track of of what's coming out here and and taking the time. Uh, if you're new, maybe you've stumbled onto this first episode. Um, I welcome you. I'm glad that you are here and um, these these are in no particular order, so uh, feel free to kind of cruise through all these previous episodes. Uh, in uh, in whatever way you desire, so again, thanks for coming in, um, and you know, like I've said before, and I'll continue to say, um, the the reach that this has gotten uh, across other countries. I know I'm in the United States, but this has gone to places that I'm very thankful that um, I would never, I would have never actually had the opportunity to to visit some of these places. So I'm thankful for what God has done to put this into those. Uh, far-reaching places across different countries. So uh, I welcome you. I welcome the United States folks who have come along. and So let's just uh, jump in with what uh, God's put in my heart uh, and in my sight to see. So recently, the past couple days, I've been thinking on uh, Joshua and Moses. And uh, I'd like to explore these two a bit more but um you know we we know that that Moses um, he was really a prominent figure in leading Israel um, he was leader of of the people taking them out of their captivity uh, to Egypt uh, we know this through the book of exodus and so Moses is this very Uh, pivotal character that God uses throughout the storyline of Israel. And um, Joshua, you could say perhaps kind of his right-hand man, his his protege, being groomed uh, for the continuation of service unto the Lord um, upon Moses' passing away. If you've spent any time exploring God's word and and somewhat familiar with the story of Moses you may recall that Moses himself actually didn't get to enter into the promised land and it's it's a it's a fairly i would say intense and interesting story of of how that is and and it's something that I found myself thinking about Previously in in other in other seasons of my life and and but nonetheless we find Moses not entering the promised land that it would be Joshua who would ultimately deliver this promised land to the people and I'd heard a message uh, preached by a particular individual and he was really talking about this um this need for purity in the day that we live, and that and that really got me thinking um, about these two characters, Moses and Joshua. So I'm just gonna kind of stumble through this a little bit and see where where we end up. I do have some notes, uh, but um, we'll read a good bit of scripture just because I want to kind of clearly paint the picture uh, and help us to see kind of what's going on in the midst of the story and and kind of behind the scenes a little bit. Ask some questions, get you thinking about uh, particular uh, thoughts. Um, May not have answers for them, but uh, just to generate questions. So that being said, I'm going to start out of Deuteronomy 32, verse 48 through 52. And this is kind of this uh, closing scene here. So it says uh, in verse 48 of Deuteronomy 32, On that very day the Lord addressed Moses as follows, Ascend this mountain of the Abram, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, across from Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites for a possession you shall die there on the mountain that you ascend and shall be gathered to your kin as your brother Aaron died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his kin. Because, here it is, both of you broke faith with me among the Israelites at the waters of Meribath, Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin by failing to maintain my holiness among the Israelites. Although you may view the land from a distance, you shall not enter it, the land that I am giving to the Israelites. Now, if we just pause here for just a moment and think about really what was just said um, we, we read that Aaron had died. And now we see that Moses is approaching the end of his days. And God is is telling this to him ahead of time. And Moses is being told that he is not able to go into this promised land because he broke faith with God at the waters of Meribath Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. He failed to maintain holiness among the people. Now, if you're not familiar with that particular occurrence, this is a, a portion that I'm going to read And it's a little lengthy, so um, just kind of sit back and enjoy, uh, listen to it. But uh, it's going to paint the story for what exactly happened here of this breaking faith uh, with God. So this is out of Numbers verse 20, and I'm going to read about verse 1 through 13. And it says, And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. So just kind of picture this in your mind, these people coming a, 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 up against this issue of we're thirsty and we don't have anything to drink. And so they assemble themselves together. They kind of, um, they kind of um, group up and, and they are in complaint against Moses and Aaron. Verse 3, And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. No doubt here, just comment on this. No doubt this is a very intense moment for these two leaders. There is clear and obvious issue with their situation. I mean, we need water to drink. There's no, there's no mystery there. We've known that for for generations. So this is a this is a serious situation that they find themselves in. And this is a serious situation that Moses and Aaron find themselves in because they have this this uproar of the people of the congregation. And they're coming against them in bitterness, complaining, they're frustrated, they're upset, they're disappointed. And these people are looking for this ideal spot. And, um, and because of the situation, they find themselves discontented. So, back to verse 6. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly. So, he, they went from the presence of the people to the entrance of the tent of meeting. This is the abiding place of God. And they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes, To yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. I'll just pause right there for just a moment and just kind of ask some questions and think about this. When Moses spoke, and really, it, it actually doesn't say he's, when that Moses spoke. He just, he went before the Lord and fell on his face. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. You know, this tells me, you just kind of here in the moment, that, you know, God sees what we're going through. He knows the situation. Moses didn't even have to open his mouth to say a word. Um, But God was aware, and Moses and Aaron fell on their face in humility, in their, their inability to accomplish what needed to be done. And so the Lord in his glory appeared and said to Moses, Take the staff and assemble the congregation. And again, this is one of those situations where I ask a question I don't really have the answer, but something to consider. God's direction to Moses was to take the staff and assemble the congregation. I ask the question to myself, Taking take the staff. Why was that necessary? You know, there's something specific about that, that God gave the direction. God doesn't say things just um, kind of in a, in a um, nonchalant way. I mean, there's it's very, it's very particular causes for the words that he utters. And so in something he said, take the staff, I find that interesting that that was part of the direction. Now, we may think of that as, okay, well, the staff symbolized authority. Um, it was this, this shepherding, pastoring, um, symbol, um, and, and all those things are, are, are fair and, and well and fine. Um, but it is interesting that the staff is something used throughout the ministry of Moses and there is a particular result that is executed through this staff, um, we see that this staff even at the beginning of the ministry of Moses is something used and um, here we see maintained throughout his ministry so just something to consider and think about but he's told to take the staff assemble the congregation both Aaron and himself and then to tell the rock before the eyes of the people to bring forth or yield its water now we know that Rocks don't um, contain and keep water, especially in quantities that mass mask, um, congregation uh, could partake of and cattle. Um, so this is, without question, uh, a miraculous occurrence of provision given by God. There is also a bit of symbolism in it, uh, we know that Christ Himself in the New Testament we hear Him talked or spoken of as uh, as a rock, as cornerstone, um, and and so we can see this uh, provision of for thirst a provision for thirst to provide satisfaction from a rock. This is a beautiful picture of what we get through Jesus as He. Provides from himself a thirst quenching um, flow. And uh, we also can, we may recall in the New Testament um, where Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit that would be given and says to him who thirsts that they will drink of him and out of him will flow rivers so there's this supernatural phenomenon that occurs that to those who are thirsty they would come to Christ and they would be provided for in in quenching that thirst but also they would themselves become a source for others to drink, and partake of. It's this idea of multiplication in, in, this, in this apostolic, in this um, disciple um, way of the kingdom. So those who thirst would come, they would partake, and then they themselves would become sources. Um, and so God says, you will bring water out of the rock it's interesting here, as I just as I think about this in the moment, God says, "So you shall bring water." Now, it probably goes without saying most of us can understand that it was indeed God who made this occur. Man, man of himself cannot uh, produce water from a rock, but it is a. Explicit thing here God speaks to say that so you, possibly Moses and Aaron or maybe just Moses, shall bring water out of the rock for them. So through the the obedience of Moses and or Aaron, through their obedience, they bring water out of the rock. So there is this this paradox this this tension that lies between god's doing and our doing and and god clearly attributes moses and or aaron to bringing out water from the rock so it's kind of an interesting thought just to kind of consider how we walk hand in hand with God and he is the ultimate source, but it's through and through our obedience to his direction that we too can bring forth things from places where they should not be. This, this goes beyond necessarily just water, although water is, is part of it. Um, but through our obedience to the Lord, we can bring forth things out of objects and situations and people and um, opposition. We can bring things out of that as if it was not there. So it's a challenge for us to, to not only see the importance and the necessity of the intervention of God, but also How our intervention through him produces things that would not have been there otherwise. So, leave you with that to think on. Uh, Verse 9, and Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. So, Moses didn't have the staff here in this particular situation. It tells us that Moses took the staff from before the Lord. So likely it was, um, in a place that was kind of this, um, holy, uh, resting place. And Moses was permitted to take it. And then he did what he was told with it and through it. Now, um, this next section is where we get, we kind of see where Moses gets into some trouble and, Back to this section in Deuteronomy 32, uh, we see the consequence of what where Moses messes up here. Verse 10, it says, Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. Now hear what the Lord says in verse 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy In the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. Okay. Moses... It says, lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. But now remember, what was the direction that, the, that God gave to him? In verse 8, he said, tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Tell it. Speak to the rock and tell it to yield its water. But what did Moses do? He lifted up his hand, he struck the rock twice, and water came out. Now, we'll just pause for a second to consider the situation. Just put yourself in the, in the environment. You have a people, a congregation of people, who are complaining, upset, angry, maybe very hostile. They are bitter. They are resentful. No doubt that Moses and Aaron were frustrated with these people. I can only imagine these these people, even people as we know today, there's this up and down. There's this, um, you know, they are f- fully obedient and seeking God. And then, you know, the next day they may be far from him and, and living in, in blatant disobedience and disregard for God. They may be causing problems. Uh, in the assembly of believers, division. Um, They may be gossiping and uh, kind of backbiting one another. We can relate to how frustrated even our Christian brothers and sisters can make us. And so when Moses stands there among them and they say, here now, you rebels... You, you, I can just picture this being yelled in such intensity and as this frustration just pours out of them, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Now, this can be probably thought of in multiple ways. Mm-hmm. And I would say, based on the, the text... The Lord saying to Moses, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. We could understand what Moses and Aaron, when they gathered the people and said, Here now you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? We could hear that and and understand it to mean that Moses and and or Aaron kind of um, took glory from God to um, accentuate their, their ability. Um, that's absolutely possible and reasonable based on what God says here in verse 12, to uphold him as holy. Um, I think another way to consider this is in the actions that Moses did for example, struck the rock with his, with his staff twice. God saying that Moses and Aaron failed to uphold him as holy. That another way of considering that is because you didn't do as I instructed you. You failed to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. It could be that. Moses and Aaron, they weren't interested in trying to steal the the glory, if you will, from God for this miracle. It could be that just their pure disobedience did not uphold God as holy. So, um, one can just uh, suspect or... Um, pose these questions to ourselves since we were not there and seeing the context of all that was going on now this isn't the first occurrence where rocks and water has um, taken some sort of uh, storyline we see it and this is the first occurrence in exodus 17 through 7 Exodus seventeen one through seven, and I'm just going to read this um, for you, so we can understand this first time that it happened, and I think that this first occurrence plays into um, very intently into the second occurrence and how they may be related. So it says in Exodus seventeen one through seven, from the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff, there it is again, with uh, the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it, so that the people may drink. Moses did so in sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So this is a first occurrence of water coming from the rock. Um, these do seem to be two distinct scenarios. Uh, there could be some disagreement about that. Um, but the direction that God gave is different. And so I see these uh, without question to be two separate events. I do think, however, that they are linked together in the way in which Moses responded in these situations. We have a complaining a group of people, Israel, who were thirsty and were being very dramatic, um, in both situations. And so the direction that God gave to Moses in this first occurrence was to strike the rock, and he did so, and water came out as prescribed. If you continue reading, there's no, um, you know, there's no uh, consequence or issue that the Lord took against Moses. He was obedient. Um, And so some time passes and we find ourselves in this scenario once again. And yet in this situation, in the second occurrence, Moses is told to speak to the rock. Now, this is an interesting situation that we find ourselves in And I I come to these places and I ask questions um, kind of in my heart about why was it different? Why was the direction that God gave different? Um, I feel like in those moments we can allow the Holy Spirit to to speak to our hearts and teach us. Um, If we can kind of silence some of the noise, not just physically turn things down quieter around us, but if we can kind of silence the noise of our, of our own mind and thought and, and soul, we can, we can hear opportunities uh, for the Holy Spirit to teach us. And so when I ask the question, you know, why the difference? Everything is very strategic with God, and there's very, there's very specific purpose in it. And so I believe the first time when God said, uh, strike the rock, and water will come out of it. I think he was very intentional about that, about about what he wanted Moses to do. And um, there's probably a host of things that God was out to do, uh, one of which is, will you obey? Will you listen? And, uh, and so the second time this occurs, God says, speak to it. There's a whole host of things that God was looking to accomplish through that. But I think Uh, again, another theme is, will you listen and will you obey? And so sometimes we find ourselves in situations that, among other things that it could be um, producing, one of which is, will you listen and will you obey? And so we find in the second occurrence, Moses did not um, obey. He did listen. God told him what to do, but he didn't obey. Now, um, I can I can maybe just ask these questions or have these thoughts, um, and presume that's a better word. We can presume certain things. I can presume that Moses was angry and frustrated at the people, and maybe uh, hitting the rocks uh with his staff twice was was kind of this like outburst of anger. Um, it could have been this extravagant show of, hey, look at what I can accomplish, um, or um, what I believe to be significant about these verses um, relating to one another, is that what worked for Moses previously, we find him going back to this again. Maybe his faith struggled to be like, "Wait, wait, you want me to just speak to a rock? And perhaps Moses thought that just seems, uh, what if it doesn't work? What if you tell me to speak to this rock? And I'm not sure that my faith is quite there to be able to do that. What if it doesn't work? What if the people revolt and try to stone me because of the situation? So, um, I think very possibly that, you know, Moses, Moses's faith was, was struggling and because of the fear that he had maybe f- regarding the people, maybe the anger and frustration, he resorted back to what worked in previous seasons. We all have a tendency of doing that. And we see that, especially in much of our um, in our gatherings with um, among the congregation of believers, what works in previous times, we tend to just want to duplicate it and replicate it, when in reality many times God is saying will you just listen and will you obey to what I'm prompting you for in this gathering that's why it is it's very critical that we be we be pliable to the move and desire of the holy spirit who who communicates to us the things of god and the depths of god reveals to us uh, what he is desiring so I think very likely and possibly that um, they are Moses and Aaron are resorting to what worked before, maybe with a little touch of pizzazz and uh, anger, frustration. Now, I want us to d- to definitely see that Moses didn't obey, yet water comes out. Now it's very fascinating. I think that it's it's important to see that because, you know, if if we kind of pause for a second and think, well, if I was God and he disobeyed, I would not produce water and let him fall flat on his face. And sometimes that is indeed what God does. And sometimes, as we see here with Moses, it's not what he does. He actually produced water, uh, allowed it to come out. And We can't know all the moving parts. That's something very critical for us to remember throughout our lives is that things may not work out like we think they would or were going to work out. But it's important to remember that God sees all the pieces and he knows if things are put together in a certain way, it will produce a certain picture, an outcome and and so we have to kind of rest back and realize that God is so much greater than what we think we know. And so, even if something uh, something doesn't produce itself in the way that we think it should have, we have to trust that God knows the greater thing, and that He will produce the best thing in the situation, sometimes the best situation or the best thing in a situation is actually a very difficult outcome. You know, sometimes the best thing would have been for in our disobedience, God lets us fall flat on our face. And, but then sometimes he knows that giving us grace in these moments of disobedience is the best thing because he knows what is produced by both outcomes. So that's critical for us to remember in our lives as believers. And that is the one thing that I encourage unbelievers to come to the knowledge of God through Jesus is because when we are the captains of our own ship, we are We have no vision, we have no ability to to keep the ship on the right course, and we run aground and break apart our ship and uh, bust it into a million pieces and completely ruin and wreck our lives and many of those around us. And so this is why that we must um, give our lives over to Jesus, because he can put all the pieces in the right way and we can trust that he will bring about the best good for our lives and in the lives of those of people that we care about. So God still allowed water to come out abundantly and the congregation drank their livestock. God cares about the animals. It's not. It's not just about people and his creation, animals. It's not that they don't matter. He, we see that God cared about the livestock. The livestock was important to the livelihood of the people, so they drink as what they drink as well. But God says, Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me, and to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people you will not bring this assembly into the promised land or the promised place that I've given them. So they disqualified themselves. So this is a first and second occurrence of the rock that was stricken by Moses. And we see the outcomes, two separate outcomes. And unfortunately the second occurrence costs Moses what he could have had access to give, given he obeyed the Lord. Now this is a very this is a very terrifying reality. And I just pause here in this thought. Moses goes through his ministry with the people struggle after struggle Frustration after frustration. There are, I would say, at least few times where we could, and I can only think of this one, but there may be more. There are few times where we ever read of Moses doing poorly. And it is it a terrifying thought to realize that in a moment of disobedience we can disqualify ourselves from the intention that god has for us now i don't think that this should paralyze us from when we when we disobey or go our own way we should not say to ourselves, well, I've, I've screwed up the thing that God has called me to do because of my disobedience. And so I might as well just live how I want and enjoy my life. For one, you won't enjoy your life. You will be in, a, in, in constant opposition to or uh, walking against or contrary to God's desire. You will not be um, enjoying yourself but i think that when we realize that we have really messed up we come to god and we tell him we tell him we expose that that in in us that has caused us to miss the mark to fall short and we repent we 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 say here is what i've done and and I am sorry that I have come against your greatness. And God is a forgiving God. Jesus, in his death and resurrection to life, produced a grace that we could not obtain by way of the law, living, meeting a certain standard. So although there is a reality that disobedience produces consequences and consequences result in judgment and judgment is intended... To produce repentance, and in repentance, there can be restoration. So, I think that it is important to not let wrong decisions freeze us from walking alongside the Lord. Rather, it should generate a restoration of fellowship, and we let the Lord decide what He will do with and through us but we we draw near to god not because of what he can do for us but but because he is holy and he is and and he is awesome and mighty and he deserves our obedience and so We, like the people of Nineveh, when they repented of their sin, and they say, um, if the Lord decides to relent from his judgment, then we will take his decision. I'm, I'm paraphrasing there, but essentially they say, and whatever God decides to do, we will agree. And so, who knows, he may relent from his judgment, but we will repent. Uh, that's, a, that's kind of what he's saying, or the people of Nineveh are saying. So that's, that's, that's the same in, in which that we should say in our hearts, set our hearts to this place of, I have been walking in less than, and I see that Moses was disqualified from because of disobedience, but I will repent. I will turn to God and I will walk in fellowship with him. And who knows, maybe he will restore me into the thing in which he has intended. I will leave that to God. We'll leave that for him to decide whether or not he will do these things. So, The last thing, the last thing that I think I will, um, the last thing that I will touch on here is in Deuteronomy. We'll go back to Deuteronomy thirty-four. In verse 5, it says Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab at the Lord's command. He was buried in a valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his burial place to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His sight was unimpaired, and his vigor had not abated or ceased, or we could say weakened. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days, and the period of mourning for Moses was ended. This next verse 9, Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, because Moses had laid his hands on him. And the Israelites obeyed him, doing as the Lord had commanded Moses. Something that I'm just not going to elaborate on much because of time, but it is a question that I want to kind of leave you considering. And different translations will will show this a little differently, but it's all pretty consistent in terms of the result. But verse 9, Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. There are many gifts, but one spirit. So we know this source of wisdom is Wisdom given by the Spirit of God, so Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the Spirit of wisdom because, or some translations say, for Moses had laid his hands on him. Now, just briefly, I want to say this is a moment we we often we often underplay or disregard. The laying on of hands. I think that this verse, among many others, discuss the importance of uh, laying on of hands. I think Hebrews is where it's written, but it's laying on of hands is even called a kind of an elementary uh, component, but it's a foundational aspect. And so here we see that Joshua was full of the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. Now, some call this kind of an impartation. Uh, Some would say, well, he laid his hands on him. this was kind of the symbol or symbolic of selection. And and I'm fine with either of those. Um, But... The act of him laying his hands on Joshua produced in Joshua a spirit of wisdom. Even if this was just symbolic, kind of like think of the game that kids play, Duck, Duck, Goose. Even if this was just symbolic and it was as though Moses was kind of going around Duck, Duck, Goose and you know goose Joshua's the goose and um, you know they get up and run around it still testifies to the importance of laying hands so whether it's symbolic or whether it's a literal explicit something passed through Moses into Joshua by the touching of hand upon Joshua it still testifies to the importance of laying hands. So um, I would just kind of encourage you to consider that. Um, look on in Hebrews. I can't remember the particular section. I'll try to link it in the description or notes there, but something to, to, to think on. And then in verse 10, it says, never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and his entire land and for all the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displays of power that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. When I think of Moses, I don't really think of him as a prophet. But this is explicit here. (laughs) It says, Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses. Moses was marked unrivaled by any prophet in Israel. Moses, we know Moses played an important role and did many things that none ever did or has done since. But it's just interesting. To think of him as a prophet culturally, this may be where there's a little disconnect in you know the United States. we may not put as much emphasis on Moses, and so we don't maybe consider him as as a prophet but but regardless it is explicit here, so he definitely was <laughs> and a closing thought I want to kind of leave with you is it says, none was like Moses. No prophet in Israel was like him whom the Lord knew face to face. Okay, that's the first little mark. The Lord knew him face to face. And then it goes on to say he was unequaled for all the signs and wonders. That's Mark 2, as in pay attention, number 2. Signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform, and then for all the mighty deeds or um. Some translations say "mighty power," so we've got face to face, signs and wonders, and mighty power. These are three aspects that I want you to really, to really consider. In, uh, in yourself, what is it that you value the most? What is it that you long for? And I think when you answer that question, you reveal something to yourself. And if, if, you're, if you're honest, then there is an opportunity for, for a maybe realignment. Um, I would hope that both yourself and, and, and myself that what we long for out of those three are this face-to-face experience. And that was something that was special about Joshua is he would stay in the tent and experience God face to face, even when Moses would go out and be about the work, Joshua was staying behind in instances and experiencing God face to face. so I, I just pray that when when we set search our desire and our heart and our thinking what what is captivating our thinking will produce fruit in our heart so let us be about a desiring more face to face with with god as as one would experience their friend and and when we get that right when we get our desire correctly anchored in face-to-face, in intimacy, then we will see that as a byproduct of that, signs and wonders and mighty power and all these great, amazing things will occur. But it all has to be properly rooted in face-to-face encounter, where and how we experience God in the secret place individually. And then we can we can come together corporately and and experience God rightly, but it it has to be born out of this place of face to face intimacy with God, and if you you find that you don't have that desire or you feel like it's it's weak or um, anemic, then I would just say ask and keep asking, and then be faithful to keep searching because what you search for. What you keep looking for, you will see more often. And so sometimes it's quick, instant. Sometimes it takes a long time. But I would just encourage you, keep searching for that face-to-face encounter, that intimacy with God. And when you find it, hold on to it and fight for it with all that you have and carve out time to experience God in that secret place. And in that, you will find a satisfaction and an empowerment to do many of these other things that we desire and long to see. So I thank you for staying with me for this lengthy episode. And um, I think in the next recording, uh, I want to talk a little bit from from Joshua, um, some of six, Joshua seven, and maybe a little bit of eight. Um, I think there's some valuable things that, that God can show us through these. So um, I bless you and thank you, and we'll see you next time. God bless. If it means it, I'm close to you. I would trade a million lifetimes for a moment here with you, and in your house, I hope. Hold-